And welcome to the Triple H Studios here on Tuesday morning with Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd. Thanks for joining me, everybody. I hope you've had a lovely break. I hope you actually did have a break and enjoyed some time with the family, which is not something we do particularly well as small businesses, despite the fact that we're supposed to have fantastic work-life balance. But I hope you did get away, get some time away with the kids, your partner, your dog, whoever it is that uh, keeps you sane. But welcome back to the studio. We've got a huge lineup of guests coming up in the next few weeks, including some fairly high-level politicians, but I'm not allowed to say that for sure because we are in an election and we'll have to wait and see. But just keep your ears tuned to this station here at Triple H 100.1 FM. So today we're talking all about the economy. Now, if you cast your mind back to year 9, 10 commerce or year 11, 12 economics like I did, you might have some vague recollections of some expressions like economic indicators and cash and, uh, and um, you know, it's supply and demand and all these things that are supposed to embed themselves in your mind. And then we do our HSE and we put them aside and we think, I'm never going to need that again. And then we start running a small business and we realise how important it is to understand not just the economy of your business on a small scale, but sometimes you need to have a finger on the pulse of the big boys, the economy as a whole. And it's a great topic to be talking about at the moment because, of course... There's some certain politicians who are running around saying that that's all that matters is the economy and uh, controlling that and being in charge of that is the lifeblood of uh, us and our businesses and and us being the um, engine rooms of the economy, if you will. Now, it's not always in the driver's seat when it comes to controlling our business, though. We are. We are the ones who control what we do and how we operate um, and and how we work with our staff and and our own economy of scale. But um, we should have it at the back of our minds because although we as small businesses are, as I said, the engine room of the economy, the decisions made by the Reserve Bank of Australia, for example, mean that they're the ones. They're the ones with their hands on the steering wheel at the moment. So aside from a couple of units of... uh, Ross Kittens inspired economics at school, TAFE or uni degrees from which we remember not much. Our ongoing education around the economic drivers is non-existent. Let's face it, we might occasionally listen to Alan Kohler on on the uh, ABC every so often, um, but we should have our finger on the pulse and really understand the effects of those actions, the politicians and the RBA and anybody else who has major control over the economy and how it affects our small business. So here today with us uh, to share his expertise is Scott Shuttleworth. He's the founder and portfolio manager at Vega Capital. And his background is in economic analysis, which is uh, perfect positioning for him to help us understand the butterfly effect that the RBA's decisions, for instance, actions and even words that the politicians have, has on our own small businesses. Welcome to the show, Scott. Thank you for having me. So thanks very much for coming in. And um, I remember we, we actually met a couple of, well, it's actually a couple of months ago now, where where you were doing a presentation all about the economic indicators and what sort of things we need to be aware of. Now, at the time, you were probably mostly speaking to, I guess, finance guys, fund managers, people who are controlling large amounts of money. But why do you think, in your experience, it's so important that small business really understands economic drivers and um, and what goes on with the economy as a whole? Sure. Well, if, uh, economic drivers... Um 
when we're considering um, you know things like interest rates or the availability of uh, loans out in the in the market um, obviously that's going to have some impact on your business but uh, as you were mentioning at the very start uh, business centric factors such as competition levels what your products are your, the team uh, how you're running running your business for the long term that has a much bigger drive that has a much bigger impact on the bottom line than any any macro indicator that we can uh, possibly speak about so let's just talk about that expression there macro and micro so in your mind when you're talking about macroeconomics that's obviously people like the RBA then pulling the levers and, and trying to control cash reserve and all those those sort of things that's that's really the macroeconomics when we're talking about it in this point. yes exactly yeah as opposed to the microeconomics which is how you run your business and the controlling factors that you can actually have a control over yes so for example if you've got a, a business in which you're you're, you're uh, making your customers very happy uh, that you've got strong profit margins your staff are happy uh, you're expanding in the the correct areas, um, then you're much you're quite likely to be successful. However, regardless of whether it's a good economy or a bad economy, if you've got a business which is poorly managed, mm. your competitors are likely going to overtake you sometime in the future. So let's not take away from today's today's um, topic, which is we're gonna we're gonna try and understand the macroeconomic part of it. But let's not take away the fact that you are the one in, in the driver's seat because you're the one controlling all those microeconomic parts of your business. Yes. So for example, for example, the Reserve Bank of Australia might lower the cash rate mm. and at some point in the future that can translate into you, into you getting lower um, f- funding costs for your business. Now I'll just m- make a quick aside here. So there's this uh, misconception in the market that if the Reserve Bank lowers the interest rate immediately there should be some knock-on effect that the banks will give out lower interest rates. However it's not quite that clear cut. Mm-hmm. Most of the banks get their funding from overseas whether that be from Europe or from US or from Asia. Um, so just because we have a say a cut in interest rates in Australia doesn't necessarily mean we'll get a we get lower loan rates. That depends on what happens in those economies. Uh, however, those the investors in those economies that are looking to give funding to the Australian um, the Australian banks they may consider what the Reserve Bank is doing in terms of the cash rate. Uh, and then factor that into the interest rate that they charge the banks over here. So there is, you know, some sort of translation mechanism over time. It can generally take about six to eighteen months. Usually averages out to about twelve. But it's not so much of a exact translation from what the Reserve Bank does to what the loan rate the the bank charges, and then what you get and what you're paying for every month. We do have the pressurisation point though that, that that there's this expectation that if there's a Reserve Bank cut, that it does have a flow-on effect in the exact same way because we we hear about you know um, the big banks trying to get their PR spin by automatically reducing their rate by X number of basis points, the same as what the RBA was. But the reality is obviously much uh, much denser than that because of the influence of external money. Have I got that right? Yes, exactly. I mean, there was many times when the Reserve Bank has increased rates and then the banks have done it, but there's other times when the Reserve Bank has cut the rate and the banks haven't done it. And they cite, you know, that there's increased overseas costs and often that can actually be the case. Let's talk about what effect that does have, because obviously I think um, all of us understand that, like you said, a rate cut from the RBA translates possibly to a rate cut that the that the um, that the banks do. But what other effects does that um, does that rate cut or increase have on the on the macroeconomics of Australia? Sure. Well, let's say we have a rate cut in Australia, and you know through different um, different channels that leads to lower rates for uh, borrowers over here. So that means that at the margin, there are businesses which. Um, might have pursu- that wouldn't pursue funding that now will pursue funding because they say okay well now the the cost of that uh, that debt has fallen to the extent that it's profitable for us to take out that money and expand our operations. 
And so they can automatically straight away, they can start to think that they can borrow more money. Exactly. And what about the effect that it has on the um, exchange rate with other countries, for example? Yes, so if the um, Reserve Bank puts down the cash rate, typically the currency will fall, uh, particularly if other nations are either pausing their rates or they're increasing the rates. So, for example, the Australian dollar to US dollar, last I checked, was about uh, 0.7050. Uh, that's come down from about 0.72 um, a week or so ago because uh, investors believe that the Reserve Bank will at some point cut the cash rate or they'll provide some sort of monetary easing in Australia versus the US, which um, investors believe will pause for at least the next 12 months. So on a relative basis, we've got cash rates going somewhat down in Australia versus a pause over in the United States. Uh, that means that... Uh, uh, our currency is uh, relatively less attractive because it will have a be paying out a lower interest rate if investors choose to invest in that in the best in that currency versus the US, and so less will will choose to hold our, our dollars. But this is a good thing if you're an exporter because the currency is down, and thus uh, importers from other countries will view our, our products more favourably because they're cheaper. Of course, if you're importing from other countries, then it's relatively more expensive. So we, I think we all understand the, the effect that the exchange rates has on the import-export sort of thing. And if you're in that industry, obviously, you've got to have a finger on the pulse of that. If I'm a small business who's operating within Australia, so realistically, I don't have any export um, tendencies. I'm working with, say, I'm, let's say I'm a consultant and I'm just working within my community. Those macroeconomic indicators like the cash, uh, the cash rate and um, the exchange rate and that sort of stuff, that's not really going to have much of an effect on my business apart from my borrowing capacity. Is that, is that what you're saying? If you, if you just sort of operate in quite a, a small scale? Uh, all else equal, that, that is true. However, usually when the Reserve Bank is lowering the cash rate, it's because there's weakness in the economy. So you're, But at that stage, you'd already be feeling the effects of that in your business. So perhaps revenues are a little lower than they were at the same time last year. So let's talk about why, uh, why the RBA does this. Um, is, it, is it if they lower, it's going to stimulate the economy and they're hoping for what? What are the, what are the politicians and, and the RBA hoping to do when they reduce the cash rate? What do they want to see as the flow-on effect? What are they expecting us as small businesses to do in reaction to that? Sure, sure. So uh, economy is basically, uh, to quote Ray Dalio, a set of transactions. So one person buying, one person selling, and the sum of all those transactions ends up being our GDP, which is our economy. So what the, when they lower the cash rate, they're hoping that uh, loans will be more affordable over time, and thus people will go out and borrow more, and they'll spend that money, thus create a transaction, and provide um, upward momentum for GDP. So they're trying to stimulate the economy. Mm -hmm. Now, I'll caveat that with that the, uh, from, from a, um, uh, a large-scale point of view, what happens in Asia and what happens in the US has a much greater effect on our economy than simply what uh, the Reserve Bank tries to do or the government tries to do. Certainly, they can, they can influence where our GDP goes to some extent, but... Because we're such a, you know, a small part of the world, global factors have a much larger effect on their economy than what our politicians can do, e even if they're you know, tr doing their very best. So does that go back to what you were saying before about um, you know, the, the fact that a lot of our money from, comes in from overseas and that's what the banks are using to lend to smaller lenders? But aside from that those macro economies. Why did you mention uh, the US and Asia in particular? 
Well, those are the, some of the largest economies in the world. And obviously, you know, for example, China um, buys a lot of our exports. Uh, we also import a lot from them um, and similar to the United States. So what, what happens in their economies, whether they're in going through an expansion or a contraction, that'll have a much greater impact on what happens here because they're buying, they're buying our stuff. So what you're saying, going back to that quote you were saying, is that um, with their, with, when they're not uh, having a particularly strong economy, econ- economic time, for instance, they're going to have less transactions with us and therefore there's n- less economic activity and therefore less money flowing between the two countries. Exactly. And the other thing that affects that is the foreign exchange rates between the two countries, I presume, but not as much as those economies and how... Uh, strong they are. Is that, have I got that right? Yes, uh, to, to, to a general extent. I mean, for example, if the Australian dollar went up to 90 cents from where it is now, uh, that would make our exports relatively less attractive. But of course, we know that um, even when the currency was at that level several years ago, um, different countries were still buying our iron ore, for example. So there is... Um, th- there would be relatively less demand for our product, but it also depends on what's going on in these, those economies. So, for example, if China started to build a lot more, it would buy our iron ore regardless of where the exchange rate is. Because it needs it. Exactly. Because it's growing and because it's got it's, it's still building mega cities. Is that, yeah. is that essentially why? Uh, perhaps not to the same extent that they were previously, but, you know, that'd still be, it's still a very large economy which is expanding. Are you using the example of iron ore because it's just an example or because really, truly, that's at the moment one of our... Uh, just just an example. It is, it is a big part of the Australian economy, that's, that's for sure. Uh-huh. Uh, but it was just an example alongside many others. So let's talk about policy. Let's talk about um, things that the government can do aside from... Because we don't, they don't control the cash rate, do they? Who controls the cash rate? The Reserve Bank controls the cash rate. And are they independent? Yes. So, what ha- so when they talk, they're not just being a mouthpiece for the government? No. Okay, so who, who, who sits on the RBA? Who are these people who essentially have this massive, you know, swinging stick <laughs> that, that operates in our economy and has such an effect on our businesses? Who are these people who typically, typically make these decisions? Well, these are people that have either had a, a long background in uh, economics from an academic point of view or from a professional point of view. Uh, so they're all very highly qualified individuals. Uh, it is an independent board, so they're not... Um, they're not subject to what the government wants to do at that time and there are many politicians around the world who have tried to influence uh, central banks, whether that be in Australia or US, mm-hmm. and the reserve, reserve banks around the world have quite consistently um, pushed back and said, well, no, we're not going to be influenced by, the, by well, what you'd like us to do with the cash rate. Uh, we, will, we, we will pursue our own independent policy. Um, so what they're trying to do um, over the long term is uh, promote three goals. The first is the stability of prices, so they don't want too much inflation. They also don't want too much deflation. Uh, they're trying to create full employment in um, different nations. So, for example, uh, the Reserve Bank will try to keep uh, unemployment you know, generally towards the low single digits. So, at the moment, it's about 5%, but uh, you know, that's considered uh, full employment for, um, for all intents and purposes. And because small business is the biggest employer, as we keep getting told by the government how important we are, that, that's, that's where we play a really big role, isn't it? Exactly. With, with reflecting what the RBA is hoping to achieve with their decisions. Exactly. So the Reserve Bank wants to create a, um, a prosperous economy in which people can, can have a job, um, uh, provide, for, um, provide for their households and generally lead, lead a good life. 
That sums it up quite nicely. We're going to take a quick break here on Triple H 100.1 FM. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Scott a little bit more about the way that the RBA controls the economy and other indicators that come in, other influences, and how that trickles down to our small business. You are listening to Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd. We'll be back after this. Today we're talking all about the economy and the uh, effect that those macro indicators have on us as the micro economy, which is our little businesses. Just before the break, I was talking to Scott uh, from Vega Capital all about the RBA and how the RBA controls the cash rate in particular and that the fact that they are completely independent. Now, Scott, just remind me, can we be confident that they are truly independent? Is, are, are we safe in assuming that? Yes, uh, we're quite safe in assuming that. And uh, as I said, uh, there are several politicians in the past that have tried to uh, either suggest to the Reserve Bank uh, that they should uh, pursue some sort of policy that uh, the politician wished. Uh, most recently in the US with Donald Trump telling oh, yes. the Federal Reserve to, I was, That was the name that popped into my head when you said that as well. Yes, uh, to cut rates. And uh, I think the, the Reserve Bank had done a good job in, uh, at, you know, on one hand, they're, they're not showing that they're willing to cave. On the other hand, they're, they're trying to be respectful about it. What, how worried should we, should we be about the policy and the politics of that in other major trading countries? Because obviously, you know, the RBA in America is, is supposedly independent. It is. It's proving itself to be. But what about places like China, our other major um, economic partner? Because that's a communist country and they have absolute control over everything, don't they? So how does their independence with their version of the RBA factor into this? Or is it basically that the government is all controlling and we have to rely on the government to do the right thing in China? Well, that's true. Um, you know, to, to an extent, the, the, the party in um, China does control what they do with monetary policy. Um, so by by that uh, front, the, the central bank over there is an extension of the government. Uh, there's, there's no getting away from that. However, um, I, I think over the long term, they've, they've shown to be um, quite sensible in their approach. Uh, I'm sure you know any any um, central bank can be criticised at di- different uh, points in time, but uh, their approach has seemingly been quite uh, beneficial for Australia. Obviously, they buy a lot of our exports, and that's done quite well for us. So, um, I won't uh, I won't uh, level any criticism there. So we can be we can be reassured that at the moment everything is pretty stable, despite the fact that we've got a maniac in the White House, and everything is fairly stable, and we can just sort of operate knowing that all those RBAs in all the different countries are helping to keep everything stabilised. Yes, um, I mean, sort I think. Of. Well, I, th- I think if uh, it's always difficult being a central banker because you're basically be- being asked to do a different, uh, an almost impossible ta- task to to forecast what's going to happen with the economy and respond to changes and threats on the horizon now. Um, no one has a crystal ball, so mm. that that is a very difficult task. However, I think if you you know look at. Uh, what they've, what, what's going on in the world economy relative to you know previous uh, centuries? Uh, they've uh, significantly reduced volatility, um, and overall they're doing quite a good job relative to what we might have otherwise. So the increasing, the raising, and the cutting of the interest rates. Uh, let's take Australia for example. What is it that they they are trying to achieve, or why would they raise the interest rate? Just on a really broad macro scale, why do they increase it? Sure. Well, one of the the objectives of the Reserve Bank of Australia is to uh, control inflation. So if they see inflation going up too high or there's a risk that inflation will go too high, they'll raise the interest rate in order to try and um, to, to cull that off, mm-hmm. basically. Um, there, there, there can be other circumstances in which they may rate may, raise rates but that's the that's the main one so that's a real there's a real um coupling between 
the raising the interest rates and employment and also uh, inflation, obviously. That's what I remember from economics when I was studying it in the HSC. There was some relationship between the two. What about the relationship between the cash rate and, uh, and employment in particular? What are they hoping to achieve when they raise it and what are they hoping to achieve in relation well, to that? Well, generally, when, they're expect, if, when they raise the, the cash rate, they're expecting funding costs in the economy to go up. So... Uh, the loans will basically be more expensive at some point in the future. And what they're hoping with that is that uh, if the loans are more expensive, then people won't expand at such a a fast pace relative to what they have been been, been done in the past, Mm -hmm. which would put um, downward uh, pressure on employment, so upward pressure on unemployment over time. However, usually when we're going through a cycle of raising rates, the economy is doing very well. And even though the Reserve Bank will keep raising rates, the economy will will keep accelerating beyond that. So, for example, if we look at the period from about 2003 to 2007, the Reserve Bank was raising rates pretty quite significantly, but the local economy was still doing very well because all our exports were being bought by uh, China and other countries. So the economy was doing very well. We had raising rates, but we still had, you know, very strong uh, employment numbers. I don't understand why they would want to raise rates. Are they trying to put some sort of a, um, I don't know, a steady hand on the economy to stop it growing too quickly? What's Uh, what's the concern there? What's wrong with having a a really fast-paced, you know, crazy-growing economy? Why is that bad? Well, in most circumstances, if you have very fast growth for a prolonged period of time, uh, you can get a lot of overheating in the economy. So you could get a lot of inflation mm-hmm. or you could get a lot of uh, poor investment that builds up. And when you have a long stretch of time in which there's a lot of investment building up, which is uh, which shouldn't have been done. Mm-hmm. So, for example, uh, maybe there was... Uh, if you were to look at, for example, the US when there was a subprime bubble and suddenly uh, a lot of people that received loans which, shouldn't, which couldn't actually afford them on a long-term basis, we have that build up over, over a few years that pushed up property prices then you had a big collapse when all those people suddenly couldn't pay. Mm. So they're trying to make sure that uh, any build-up in asset bubbles is not going to be too big over time. So, so poor investment decisions on a mass scale yes. can suddenly implode. Could could we see something like that happening? Because obviously there, there's a lot of um, encouragement and in talking about investing in new and, and innovative innovative companies and brand new ideas and technology and that sort of thing. Could there ever be a fear that there would be an overinvestment or poor investment in that sector and having a bit of a collapse? Is that is that a possibility? There can be over a long stretch of time if a lot of investment goes into a particular asset um, and it, that asset ends up not actually meeting expectations. So if everyone believes that there's going to be some big industry in the future, um, it turns out not to be the case. Well, typically the companies in that, in that industry will have a very big rise in their valuations. And then when those expectations are met, suddenly they'll fall. Mm-hmm. So then you've got that sort of up and then downward move of a bubble. Um, so you can have those over time. The, the res- central banks are not looking at those individual bubbles per se and trying to pop them. They're more looking at the economy in general and saying, well, you know, what, you know, do we see this economy as at a large scale overheating or, or is it getting too cool and we need to suddenly uh, drop rates and start to, um, start to warm things up again? But home loans and investment into property, that's on such a mass scale and that's, I guess, why the GFC was, was all-consuming for the American economy. There were plenty of other investments going on and other things that were happening with the economy and transactions and stuff. But the way that this overheated and then just completely collapsed um, because it affects everyone and everyone has a home loan and everybody's invested in that in some way, uh, that was the risk and that was the danger? 
That was one of them that was identified. Now, the uh, central bank over in the US wasn't trying to pop that bubble, you know, specifically, but, you know, it was looking at the economy as a whole and saying, okay, well, let's cater our monetary policy, so the, the policies of the central bank, to how much inflation we're seeing in the market. And when they saw inflation getting too high, then they'd raise rates. What... What concerns? What should we be concerned about here? Do we do we have the same level of concerns, or is it because we've got such um, good regulation of the finance industry, or some would say, if you look at the Royal Commission, not so great uh, regulation? But is that one of our controlling factors that means that we're protected in some way against those bubbles, or um, are people, real economists, looking at what the the media is talking about when it comes to the property bubble we've got going on here, and just going, well, not really, guys, because we've got things in place that regulate that side of the economy. How concerned should the everyday small business owner be about these sort of bubbles? Uh, probably not too concerned. I mean, it's very difficult to regulate away bubbles. Um, you can create uh, you can create laws and regulations that will police uh, you know how banks finance things for sure. So they shouldn't uh, they may not necessarily um, take people people putting money in term deposits and put into a very risky investment because mm. then you're making your customers basically bear the risk of everything goes belly up. Um, so I wouldn't say, yeah, I wouldn't say there should be too concerned about massive bubbles in Australia. There's obviously been a quite rather large contraction in the Australian property market. So you could argue that if there was a bubble, perhaps it's not such a big risk anymore. Mm. And we've also seen that our banks have been fairly resilient against even those quite large property um, price declines. So in terms of being a, you know, any bubbles in Australia, you know, at least, you know, from what I'm seeing, I couldn't say that. Um, but, you know, if we look more globally, there certainly are different bubbles that are popping up here and there. So if we talk about investment, because obviously um, the, the banks are, are one major investor in, in small business, but then we've got a lot, of, a lot of smaller investors who are starting to come in. We hear about angel funding. We hear about, um, you know, um, uh, people getting a consortium together and boosting up a, a new small business, for example. Is that, does that put a greater risk on the economy because there's money flying around that's a little bit less regulated than the banks, or does it make it better because we've got better competition? I think it makes it better because we've got better competition. I mean, at the end of the day, even if people, um, you know, can't necessarily put half a million dollars, uh, half a million dollars down to start up a new business, and they split it between a bunch of family members or a bunch of friends, mm. at the end of the day, they're creating a new business. They're creating better competition, new products, new ideas into the economy, and long term, that's uh, that's hugely beneficial. Uh, and any any government policy that can actually lower the barrier for people to, to start a business, provided those businesses are you know, good businesses, uh, that's always beneficial to the economy. And that, and that competition is, is really the best, the best possible thing that we can have. Exactly. Over the long term, uh, competition makes everyone in the economy much better off. And those micro-businesses who that you mentioned at the beginning of the program who are in control of their own finances and their own staff, and I say control of staff, but you know what I mean. They're, they've got all those things organised and, and are very um, good at running their own businesses. That's a bigger factor than these macroeconomic indicators? Yes, for sure. But, you know, that, that business that can operate um, uh, fr from a sensible base over long term, for example, if we have a low cash rate and there's low... Um, there's low loan rates in Australia, then they can take advantage of those loan rates. They can take out a loan, they can expand their business or buy another one or, or start out something new. Correspondingly, if we're going through a, um, a boom in the economy and interest rates are high, well, maybe they'll cut back on the debt, but they're getting a lot of uh, profit coming from their business because there's a lot of consumer spending. 
um, so they can finance things uh, from their own pocketbook, assuming the expansion costs are appropriate. I mean, a, a weak economy is actually one of the best things for the business which is operating over long term because they can say, well, okay, maybe we're going to expand and during the top of the boom it's going to cost us a million dollars to double our business but now we could acquire a few competitors or we could open a new factory or we could open a new office or hire more employees and suddenly it's all 20-30% cheaper. Mm, and because they've got that ability to, to, to borrow at a cheaper rate. Exactly and maybe they didn't take out too much debt during the boom, maybe they were sensible with their finances. Now they've got a very strong balance sheet and they can take on debt right after everything's come down. It's interesting to see the way the, the, the macro plays into what we do as small businesses. I know we keep coming back to the fact that it is all about money and loans and whether or not you're expanding or, or just holding the fort. Um, but that's a big driver, isn't it, when we're looking at whether or not we're going to get big or, or remain the same size that we are or maybe even contract. Yes, exactly. So, you know, over the long term, the, the, there are times in which the central banks and government policies can create opportunities for business. But it all comes down to whether that's a good business that can you know, stick around and actually um, benefit from those um, opportunities over the long term. And it all comes down to you know, what products are there, um, how the business owner operates the business, um, and just the quality of it overall. And I guess this is where government policy, and since we're in an election right now, it's, it's quite topical. But that's where um, the, the investment of government and how much transactions they're doing with small business through, say, grants or investment schemes, that's where they can really control where government money is going to. And I guess um, for a certain sector of the economy, that can really be a huge stimulus. So those decisions about where they're spending their money and which parts of the economy they think are more important than others or are growing or they need to invest in to boost up um, and that's where the real government policy decisions, not the RBA they're not controlling that at all, but those policy decisions and stimulating different parts of the economy, that's where that comes into it and why we need to be also aware of politics and what the policies are, correct? Of course, um, or even how much red tape um, the government requires a, a small business to go through in order to just con conduct operations. I mean, for example, in the first year of a business setting up, that's often the most difficult time because you've got a lot of expenses and you've got very low revenues. And to you know, put on top of that all the uh, things around, uh, for example, BAS or uh, tax um, and other regulations, depending on the industry, uh, these are all just additional costs which effectively the government has imposed on a business which is just trying to start up. So, of course, you know, taxes have to be paid and, you know, regulations have to be abided by, but the more that government can do to try and ease the burden of those different obligations, uh, you know, that that's massively supportive to small business. And, of course, it frees you up to actually grow and spend more time growing your little micro-business and then the macros don't have such a massive impact anyway because you're busy just getting on with it. Of course. I mean, <laughs> if you're already working 20 hours a day, spending an extra two on, you know, different admin. Uh, uh, on admin <laughs> and other regulations is, is not helpful. Yes, indeed. Look, we're going to take another break here on Small Biz Matters on Triple H and across the community radio network. When we come back, we've been talking to Scott all about how the economy does affect us as small businesses, not just around loans and money, but also bigger indicators and also international players in the game. Um, I want to talk about, when we get back from the break, Scott, I want to talk about um, learning from the past. So looking at some seriously big um, incidences that have occurred, like the GFC or the Depression, and what, what can we learn uh, from those indicators to, to give us a bit of a heads up about, you know, what we can see in the future as a small business? You're listening to Triple H and Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd. We'll be back in a moment. 
And welcome back to Small Biz Matters here in the studios at Triple H 100.1 FM live and across the community radio network as well. Today with Small Biz, we're talking all about why small businesses need to be aware of the larger economy as a whole, um, have a bit of an idea about what's going on, a bit of an understanding about the unemployment rate, the cash flow rate, um, the RBA and what they do. And just before the break, we were talking a whole lot of intricacies about those economic indicators. If you've missed any of today's show, do make sure you catch up on smallbizmatters.com.au where we have over 130 podcasts, including this one in full, which will be available by the end of the week. Plus, we can also uh, you can also download all of our podcasts, about 70 of them via iTunes as well, and you can listen while you work. So we're talking to Scott from Vega Capital and we're talking about um, economic indicators. Let's let's talk about learning from the past because obviously um, anybody who's been in business can remember quite distinctly the GFC, for example. Why do we need to be aware of those um, lead-ins, I guess? What, what happened in the economy just beforehand and, and how should we be aware of those as a small business so we can get a bit of a heads up. Sure. Well, uh, the economy was obviously going uh, very strongly into 2007. Um, you know, we had uh, good, uh, good, good employment rates. Uh, cash rates were rising because uh, inflation was trending up. Uh, but there was a lot of people in the economy making money. Uh, businesses were doing overall quite well. However, of course, when the GFC hit, um, less due to obviously that was more due to global factors as opposed to Australia mm. factors, specifically which is, American. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So what I what, and um, also Chinese, however, because Chinese sell a lot of their products to the US, and so when the US goes down, suddenly China goes down because they're not selling as much stuff. Exactly, and um, Australia's economies, uh, I often say, is basically a function of whatever's going on in the US and China. So if they're down, then we're down. Mm. Um, now. Shortly after the GFC, GFC hit, China un- underwent a massive stimulus program, uh, which started to prop their economy up, and then it also started to prop our economy up, particularly as they started buying a lot of our products. So, to a to a large extent, we 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 had a rather um, easy ride through the GFC relative to many other countries. Mm-hmm. However, at the same time, you know that might have that may have not always felt like an easy ride for a lot of local businesses, a lot of uh, individual consumers in uh, in the country. I know at the time I was in university and I was doing um, uh, side jobs to, to support myself. Were you studying economics while the GFC hit? I, I was. That must have been fascinating. You were like, oh, look at this. It's all happening in front of my eyes. <laughs> yes, uh, it, uh, it ended up changing the direction of the degree, actually, from uh, the sort of standard course to, to more GFC factors. But conversation for another day, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, at the at the time, I actually you know, had a couple of jobs and I lost one of them as a result, not because I'd done anything wrong, but because they simply couldn't afford that, that an additional staff member. Because so, their sales were down? Yes, uh, okay. cons- considerably, uh, because a lot of their business was coming from sectors of which were reliant on um, uh, parts of the economy that were exporting and uh, they weren't exporting so much anymore. And there's your trickle-down effect. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that that's how those um, different effects fl- flow through. Um, so if, if we were to go through another global financial crisis, uh, again, what happens in Australia is going to be dependent on the policies of China and the US. If they um, undergo the correct policies, we will likely have a, a, a weak period still, so there will be some pain, but you know, perhaps that can be well managed. However, there are circumstances in which things can get quite bad and then Australia will be you know, quite quite badly hit. In your opinion, when the GFC hit and the trickle-down effect happened to our economy, was it well handled by the government at the time? Yes. Because it stimulated the economy and we all bought televisions? 
Well, it perhaps wasn't the... Stimulus can occur in many different ways. So if you have a stimulus program, it, you, know, you can, for example, you, you could do a, a process where, uh, for example, in the United States where they, the government bought, well, the central bank bought uh, market securities to force up asset prices mm-hmm. and create what, what a wealth effect, uh, create a wealth effect in the economy. Basically, the wealth effect is where asset prices are rising. So a lot in the, uh, the wealthy class uh, feel feel more wealthy, mm-hmm. they go out and spend it cre- and it uh, creates a trickle-down effect. Yeah. At least that's what the theory says. Um, many other countries don't want to do that. They say, okay, well, let's just give the money directly to consumers um, and they can go out and spend. And that was now, the Australian government tactic. Yes, exactly. Right. Now, people can argue, oh, well, that helps China a lot. And that's true, it does, because if they, especially if they're manufacturing those TVs or whatever country is doing manufacturing, but it still does help... Um, it still does help the economy here because the people that are selling you that television mm. are typically Australians and that will obviously feed into their wages. So it definitely does create some stimulus. And another stimulus effect might be looking at a particular sector and boosting that by creating better better spending into that sector through grants and that sort of stuff. Yes, exactly. Uh-huh. Um, others favour... Um, a stimulus uh, which is sort of means tested so for example someone that um, is likely to go out and spend all their money uh, perhaps would get a, a larger amount of uh, you know uh, cash benefit than someone who's likely just to save it and is that someone on a lower income yes exactly so mm-hmm. typically people on lower incomes will spend all their money mm-hmm. so if you give them some additional income they'll spend all of it versus someone who puts it back into the stock market which you can argue perhaps should not be the the greatest concern of governments at that particular point in time. Because the stock market can also benefit other countries, not just our own. Um, well, it's more, it's more of a case of, you know, the stock market is important, but, uh, uh, for example, making sure everyone has food on the table yeah. in the nation is, is, is more important than that. And that jobs are created through more spending and, and, um, and smaller businesses doing better. Yes, exactly. Um, or then you have people like myself who believe... Uh, uh, a multi-factor approach should be applied. So you might have some level of quantitative easing, so some support for the stock market, and then some direct deposit into people's accounts, assuming they'll spend it. Um, but you know, the the idea being to create the, the, the largest amount of follow-on stimulus, so butterfly effect through mm. economy, rather than just picking one policy and hoping that was the one that would work. Yeah, and spreading it out more and being a little bit more, I don't want to say creative, but, but just having policy decisions that will affect different sectors of the economy. I mean, at the end of the day, stimulus is basically, from the government, it's tax money, so we always want to make sure that we get the highest effect for each dollar of tax money that we're spending. And possibly more taxes (laughs) at the end of the day. Well, yes, and, uh, you know, those can be put back into into other stimulus measures. So, yeah, it's um, it's, a... it's a more com- it's a more complex matter than we probably have uh, time for right for now, right now. As just as a final question, how far back um, should we be considering when we're th- thinking about things like um, the depression, for example? Can lessons still be learned from a hundred years ago when it comes oh, to the economy? Mo- most definitely. So, for example, if we go to the Great Depression, it was a classic case in which we, you know, the nineteen twenty nine could have simply been a recession, but. Um, as we went through that process, rather than stimulating the economy, the, uh, the, economy, the um, government and central bank essentially contracted it, mm. which um, created more problems and push, pushed the US economy and the globe into a depression. Now, most central bankers know not to do that now, and so the likelihood of us having a depression like that again is, real, is quite low. 
um, because they know the things that work versus the things that don't. Um, however, that lesson should always be remembered because if we go through a recession and people start talking about going to austerity, well, that's likely just going to create more problems than it actually solves. Look, we have covered so much today. Now, I know that there's something you want to let everybody know about, which is a really great event that um, that you're helping to organise. Can you tell us a little bit about um, this great charity event that you're organising? Sure. So, we, uh, um, Vega Capital is establishing a annual conference called the Quants Conference. Uh, at this uh, at this event, we'll be presenting uh, uh, different speakers who have expertise in different parts of the market from a quantitative perspective. So there'll be, you know, for example, Vega Capital will be talking about its models that uh, help us to navigate recessions and, 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 and bull markets. Uh, we'll have uh, Don Hanson from Plato Investment Management who will be talking about dividend policies and US bond markets and just a... Uh, uh, a suite of uh, different speakers to talk about how they actually use mathematics in the markets to earn returns over time. And the, the conference is, uh, is being set up for the Naloon Foundation, which is a foundation run by uh, Naloon um, and uh, ha- generates about uh, $2 million annually, uh, which is donated to cancer research. And when's the event on? Uh, 6th of June. And peop- uh, we might pop something on our on our Facebook page, actually, so people interested in attending can come and um, and get tickets through 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 you guys. Where's the best place to find out more about the event? Uh, best place is to contact us at Vega Capital, um, and we can send you uh, a personal invite from there. Uh, tickets are $130 pre-booked, but all the proceeds go to the Nulloon Foundation, and it is tax deductible. <laughs> Don't forget. Well, look, thank you so much for coming on the program today. I have... I personally have learned, even if nobody else has been listening, I have learned stacks of information and it's really brought back all of those um, interesting things that I did learn and dusted off the cobwebs and learned a little bit more and see how I can apply those to my own small business. Thank you so much for coming on the program today, Scott. Thank you for having me. Um, We will be talking more things small business in the coming weeks, especially leading into that great big thing called the election, which is coming up. As I mentioned, we do have some politicians coming on the show in the next few weeks as well, so we're keeping, keeping you informed. We've also got Peter Strong, who is the CEO of the Small Business Council of Australia, who's going to be telling us all about what the Small Business Council of Australia does for you as a small business owner um, and there's a lot of you out there so they're a big uh, they're a big place they represent quite a lot of us so keep listening to small biz matters we'll be back next week on tuesday and we hope you have a productive and successful week my name's alexi boyd